Right, well, good morning, Renewal Mainline. Uh, it's great to be here uh, worshiping with you uh, here on this uh, opening Sunday of the Advent season. Would you pray with me? And uh, I'll uh, deliver the word uh, for us today. Lord Jesus, uh, we're so privileged uh, to enter uh, into your holy presence today. Uh, Lord, as we sang just a few minutes earlier, God, for love's sake, uh, you became poor uh, so that in Christ, uh, through your poverty, we can become rich. And all the riches of the spiritual blessings of Christ are ours uh, because you have clothed us in your righteousness and we belong to you today. Lord, during this season, uh, Lord, help us to see you fresh. God, especially if our minds and our hearts, our desires, and our attention has been elsewhere. God, bring us to yourself. Uh, something we cannot do unless you enable us. Help us to see uh, your humility in your birth. Help us to see your love and your sacrifice. And help us to see your glory in your resurrection. And dwell in us today uh, as we give ourselves to you. Uh, remind us how precious that word Emmanuel means, uh, that our God is with us and he is here to dwell and he is here to stay. So encourage and strengthen our hearts. We worship Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it is hard to believe that we're wi winding down uh, the year 2016 and uh, counting down the days to the new year uh, as well as uh, the Christmas uh, season. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year because I like wearing sweaters. Um, I, for some reason, it's only this month that gingerbread-flavored drinks taste good to me. Uh, I had a couple this week. Um, and just getting in the spirit of uh, this end of the year. It's also a time where I do a lot of personal reflecting. Uh, as it is the end of the year, I look back, and uh, one big area of my life I tend to really do a lot of introspective uh, thinking about is just my personal relationship with God. Uh, did I really make the most of it? Uh, in light of what the gospel tells me about the privilege of knowing God in a personal relationship. Did I really, really engage God in a way that changed my life, that I'm closer to Him, that I know more about Him uh, this time of year uh, than last? And so I pray that as we get started uh, with uh, these messages through the Advent season, that you could be reminded of that uh, as well. And to kick things off, as we look at uh, these few verses here in Matthew 1, I want to point us to the, one of the most fundamental truths of what Advent represents what Christmas teaches us, and that is the incarnation, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When we think about Christmas, it's so much more than passing sentiment, right? We tend to hear and think to ourselves, I got to get into the holiday spirit. I need to feel joy, glad tidings, and all these things. But as I was reading and preparing uh, myself and for this message and getting ready for the Advent season on a personal level, I realized how intensely theological Christmas and Advent is. Because when you think about it, uh, sentiments, feelings, spirit, it's something you try to hold on to. Right? And when a season passes, whatever sentiments or feelings that are associated with that season, it tends to disappear with time as well. But convictions, particularly theological convictions, they have a way of holding on to you because they're biblical and because they, they're powerful and they run deep. And that's what the incarnation teaches us. That shows us that when we think of the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem through the Virgin Mary, uh, it's more than just putting us in a good mood. It's grounding us on something stable so that we can know Christ better. We can be strengthened in our faith. And there's more substance in our fellowship with God and in our worship of God. So when you say words like peace on earth, glad tidings, silent night, holy night, joy to the world, chestnuts toasting on an open fire, all that has so much more meaning, roasting, I'm sorry, <laughs> all that has, has so much more weight and meaning because of the teaching of the Incarnation. So, um, this next slide here, hopefully uh, this will work for us. Um, the incarnation uh, tells us that the God of heaven entered our world through the womb of Mary, a poor Jewish girl, put on flesh and blood, and became a human being. The God of heaven entered our world uh, put, through the womb of Mary, a poor Jewish girl, put on flesh and blood, and became a human being. And if we ever wonder and ask that profound question, if God were one of us, what does he look like? 
If you were alive in the early 90s, there was a song called What If God Were One of Us? Uh, Joan Osborne, um, I saw it in a Glee episode and it was in my mind. What if God were one of us? Just a slob like one of us? Would he be a stranger on the bus? And all that, what would he look like? And we have the answer that we would know truly what God would look like if he were one of us because in the incarnation, he did become one of us. He put on a human body, put on a human face, and lived a full human life. So uh, let's look real quickly at the passage by way of setup. In verse 18, uh, we're told that Mary, uh, who was betrothed to Joseph, meaning they were set up to be married, they were engaged, and she was found to be with child uh, by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph was considering uh, how to uh, quietly divorce her, this being a very tremendously scan- scandalous situation, especially in a conservative society as it was back then. And in verse 20, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, telling him not to be afraid to take Mary uh, as his wife, confirming that this child is indeed from the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from another man. It didn't come from you prematurely. It came from God. And think about it, parents, if your kids ever asked you, Mommy, Daddy, where do babies come from? You can just quote this verse. came from the Holy Spirit. End of discussion. Ask your teachers when you get to school. And in verse 21, the angel gives Joseph and us, the readers, the first time in the gospel accounts, the theological significance for this miraculous uh, conception. All right? She will bear a son, And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and he will save his people from their sins. And he goes on in verse 23 uh, to show us that this is in fulfillment of a prophecy that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, gave many years earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. And the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. These words were spoken uh, during a period of time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament where uh, the people of Israel were going through a period of tremendous hopelessness. They were paying the price for their own sins. Uh, They were lost. Uh, They were living in despair longing for some sort of relief, some sort of solace. And any time they heard a bit of good news, uh, such as this, that Emmanuel, uh, he would come one day, it was like music to their ears. Think about it. Anytime you're going through a bit of a struggle, any bit of good news helps. Right? The other day I was having a frustrating, tough day and, and just dealing with things. And even something small like getting free parking. Or free shipping, or I got free hot and sour soup at this uh, chili Szechuan, this place I go to often. Just brought it out to me because uh, the guy was in a good mood. And it just made all my problems disappear, at least for that moment. Any bit of good news. And for the people of Israel who are living through such dark times, with the lingering questions of, when is the Messiah going to come? When will we be delivered from our enemies? When will we find true hope? When will our fears go away? Nothing but bad news for so long uh, that all these prophecies were for them a ray of hope. And here, as the angel showed up in the dream to Joseph, this was, this announcement of the incarnation of Christ was the best news that they could possibly receive. Right, so what can we learn? Let's ask a few questions. Um, first question is, what does the incarnation teach us? And I have, um, uh, if you want to take notes uh, and follow along, uh, the first thing that the incarnation teaches us is simply this, that God understands us and knows us perfectly. Okay? God understands us and knows us perfectly. In the uh, 16th century, James V, the king of Scotland, Uh, was very sympathetic uh, to the needs of the poor uh, living in Scotland. And so what he would often do was uh, travel incognito. He would uh, walk around disguised as a farmer uh, with a made-up name. And his effectiveness as a king came due to the fact that he spent time living among uh, the common people. He knew what it was like to live as a normal citizen. He knew what the problems were. He knew what the challenges were. Right? There's some Disney movies that have adapted this story. Didn't Princess Jasmine do this in Aladdin or, or something? An old throwback movie. And these are heartwarming stories. They show us these 
high and lofty people who lived in castles cared enough about people uh, to humble themselves, uh, to walk in the shoes of those they would otherwise never uh, have interacted with. But they never stayed there too long, right? I'm sure that if they got bored or if they were ever uncomfortable with their situation or they ever felt like they were threatened, all they had to do was take their mask off. I am the king, all right, by order of the princess, you know, to show off who they really were. It's like, how do you like me now, you know, if you're going to put me in that. But the story of the incarnation, uh, we see that Christ uh, took it to an extreme length. When he came to earth, he came to stay. Uh, He wasn't conducting a social experiment. He wasn't playing a game. Uh, It wasn't a short-term mission trip. Uh, He traveled the greatest distance, uh, the most extreme lengths to be with us, to know us, to understand what it's like to be human because he actually lived as a human. We often wonder, and sometimes I even wonder, you may have asked, why not, why couldn't Jesus just show up at the beginning of his earthly ministry, maybe at age 30, uh, the scene of his baptism, Uh, where uh, the voice came from heaven that you are my son who I'm well pleased with and just start from there but in order for us as his people to be assured of how thorough uh, his knowledge and understanding of us went uh, he had to prove it to us he had to understand what it meant to be a human in every respect and that's why we read in Hebrews 4 uh, when we understand the implications of the incarnation along with the divinity slash humanity of Christ, uh, we read that we have a high priest, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, not just one or two, not just in the important things, but in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And on the basis of that, verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace because it's there we find mercy and we find uh, help in our time of need. So what the Hebrew writer is basically saying there is our confidence in approaching God, the way we can know we can deepen in our relationship with God, the basis of that is the fact that he can sympathize with us perfectly, which is true. And so maybe we can pause here and think, think for a minute. Maybe uh, as you reflect back on this year, uh, maybe this recent season of your life, maybe you've been through uh, your fair share uh, of struggles. Maybe there have been uh, disappointments. Uh, maybe in some ways people have betrayed you or let you down, perhaps people close to you. I know for a lot of us, we often set goals for ourselves and for our families and for our careers, uh, for school, and... Maybe we've failed to meet them or accomplish them, and uh, we're met with just strong feelings of disappointment and discouragement. Maybe there have been financial setbacks uh, that we've experienced, and there's, along with that, the insecurity and humiliation of having to ask for help. Uh, Maybe there's been an aching loneliness in your heart, uh, even though there are people around you every day uh, when you walk out, go to work, uh, even where you live, but you feel like hardly anyone Uh, or nobody at all cares or understands uh, your deepest struggles uh, and pains. And the question that we can easily ask is, does anyone understand, does God even understand me and what I'm feeling in this moment? But the incarnation tells us otherwise, and um, uh, this quote by J.I. Packer captures this idea well. It says, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the Incarnation. The Incarnation tells us, look to the one who became a baby on your behalf, uh, who understands you more than you will ever realize. And take comfort in this truth uh, and know with confidence in your heart, because he was tempted in every way, this is true. 
Uh, I've been a pastor for a number of years, uh, and uh, I'm blessed to have uh, brothers alongside of me that we serve together with, uh, and we need that. Uh, because be, being a spiritual leader, and some of you who are spiritual leaders, whether in your community groups or serving in the church, uh, in, in an office, in a title or role, we know that it comes with this very, very unique struggles, right? That not too many people can understand uh, unless you've been there, unless you've had the burden of responsibility, of, of leading, of making decisions, of having to answer for those decisions. Not to mention pouring yourself out emotionally to counsel, uh, to love, to shepherd, to care. Right? And at the end of the day, uh, expending yourself, you realize how human you really are. And it's like pastors, elders, and spiritual leaders, it's like we can only really understand each other. And I have, we have these weekly prayer meetings uh, with, with the pastoral staff. And you always, at the end of these prayer meetings, we're just praying. Uh, we're praying out loud together that, Lord, you understand us. You've been here. Uh, you were a teacher. You were uh, a pastor. And you understand us in every respect. And knowing that, uh, just gives us so much strength. And for the rest of us here as well, because he came as a human being, uh, taking upon himself uh, the experiences of every human limitation of frustration, pain, weariness, uh, and even hopelessness. He was able to endure that, and he provides for us a sense of peace, knowing that he's been there, and he's able to walk with us uh, through all of that. Especially when we feel alone in our struggles, uh, we know that he's been there. Uh, uh, the book Hidden Christmas uh, by Keller, he quotes this. He says, Christianity says God has been all the places you have been. He has been in the darkness you are in now and more. And therefore you can trust him. You can rely on him because he knows and has the power to comfort and strengthen and bring you through. And so it's very simple words, uh, but something we can take to heart. And we could remind ourselves and remind each other uh, these very, very encouraging words. You are not alone. You are never alone. And follow up with the truth of that because that's just a sentiment. You have to say, Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us forever and ever. Second thing, uh, not only uh, can, uh, does God understand us, but God has made himself understandable to us. Knowable, understandable, and accessible to us through the incarnation. So we can understand him. And so we have to really put ourselves into the story here to understand just how significant, how meaningful this really is. You don't have to read very far into the Old Testament in the early parts of the Old Testament in the narratives to see that God would often show up to his people in these very, very strange sites. They're called theophanies, appearances of God. In Genesis 15, he shows up as a smoking pot. You know, it's an illustration of the covenant that he had to show Abraham. Some of us are more familiar, maybe in, in early Exodus, he showed up in a burning bush uh, that didn't quite burn out uh, in order to reveal himself to Moses before he took him out of the wilderness. He also showed up in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to lead and guide his people through uh, the wilderness. In another scene, uh, he showed up in a thunderous earthquake and moments later uh, in a whisper in the wind uh, because he was reaching out and grabbing the attention of Elijah, uh, the discouraged prophet who needed to get some wind in his sails again. And as amazing perhaps as these sights were to behold, think about it, uh, perhaps there wasn't much more than maybe a sense of fear and confusion uh, in their hearts and minds. And I doubt that uh, seeing, uh, as, as crazy as those sights were, uh, really uh, perhaps struggle, they struggle to understand or relate to God in any kind of personal way. Like, does God care about me? How does he feel towards me? Is he only showing up to scare me uh, in those ways? And for years and centuries, think about it, they could only imagine in their minds what God looked like, and they could really only meet him in a real sense, in one physical location for years in the man-made tabernacle and obviously for many years in, in the temple, which was the place of worship for God's people. But even in those places, it was still so very limited. What can you know personally about God when you couldn't meet him daily, when you couldn't meet him consistently, when you couldn't know in your heart how intimate 
of a relationship God sought out with you. Maybe a little bit more understandable now how prone these, uh, uh, these psalmists and people in the Old Testament were to doubt uh, or even wonder why God was so far away from them. But flip forward to Matthew, the Gospels. Uh, it's no longer some strange sight, but a baby wrapped in, wrapped in cloths, uh, a carpenter's son, right? a hardworking blue-collared worker, a teacher, a fisherman, showing up that way. Now that was something they could finally relate to. This was the infinite God, man, God walking on earth. And to understand the weight of that, just to sh- uh, share with you all just a few verses from Colossians 1 to show us the deity of Christ, that that was indeed God walking on earth, not some good teacher. And we need to believe this, right? That he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the force, firstborn of all creation. That's Christ. That's what we remember this Christmas. Verse 19, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God The divinity of God was pleased to dwell. And because that's true through him, to reconcile all things through his blood shed on the cross. And chapter 2, verse 9, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God. And, you know, maybe that's something if we don't quite understand that now, we can just memorize, repeat to ourselves that it wasn't just a part or a fraction of God that he placed in the man Jesus. It was all of him. All, the whole fullness was placed in Jesus as man. He truly lived as God on earth. Yet he was a human being. That's just staggering. But that's what Christmas points us to. What he did, as incredulous as it is, so that he can make himself knowable, relatable, understandable, and accessible to us. And the opposite is true, right? Uh, when we don't look at Jesus, we may start to make up things about God that aren't true. I mean, think about it. When we go through long periods of time without reading the Bible, and I know it's a struggle, uh, and we forget about the character of Jesus and how he reveals uh, his uh, character to us, uh, we might start to determine and decide for ourselves who God is and what he's like based on how we feel, uh, based on how our lives are going, and based on our circumstances and what our flesh tells us. So one example might be when life doesn't go your way or things get frustrating or disappointing. I know sometimes, uh, even for me, it's tempting to accuse God of not caring, of being cold, unfeeling, hard, and perhaps cruel. And maybe you've been there uh, asking that question, Where are you, God? Are you with me in the midst of these challenges and all these burdens that I need to carry? It's when we're not looking at Jesus that our minds go there. But all we need to do is look at places in Scripture like the Gospel of John, which gives us multiple beautiful, accurate pictures of who God is in Jesus Christ. I'll just give you a few. John 11, we see Jesus the God-man, he is weeping. Right? He's heartbroken over the death of his good friend Lazarus. He's standing at his gravesite. Right? He's in a place of darkness. Right? He's overcome with sorrow uh, because of the curse of death in this world and what he was about to face, and he's weeping. I mean, when you look at a picture like that, uh, I don't know how you can, uh, in the same place, Accuse God of being cold and uncaring when we see him caring deeply. In John 13, we see Jesus, the God-man, putting on a towel to wash the feet of his disciples. Very familiar scene for us. Most of whom in that very scene, most of whom, one of whom would deny him three times, one of whom would flat out betray him for 30 pieces of silver, all of whom would ditch him and run away. Uh, during his darkest final hour. But he's there, serving, caring, instructing, speaking to them, leading by example. Uh, I don't see a cold, uncaring God there. I just need one glimpse of that uh, to dispel those thoughts. And obviously, John 19, uh, 
where we see Jesus, the God-man, hanging on a Roman cross, which is why he came as a baby to this earth in the first place, bearing the shame, mockery, abuse that should have been ours, enduring it all in love. And when you can turn to that place in Scripture, even in the midst of dealing with all that your flesh is trying to do to pull you away from who God really is, you cannot help but to look at the humble king savior on the cross and think that is not an unfair God. That is not an unloving God who died the death that I should have died. Enduring it all in love so that I could live. And all that is summed up in the second verse that was read for us, John 1.14, which says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see that divine love that caused the word to take on flesh and blood. Right? As I was preparing this, I wrote this on the side of my notes. HD God. High definition God. I'm a very visual guy, so I need to think these things to myself. No longer the fuzzy screen, all right? which is what we grew up with, a lot of us, right? But the clearest resolution of God, if you want to see him, right, in 4K or whatever else is coming out, it's in Jesus. You need not adjust any, anything. Uh, he's right there for us to see, right on the pages of the word of God for us, and there we can find tremendous hope. If you're not a Christian here today, uh, I hope this is all helping you uh, to understand a little bit more of why uh, Christians especially uh, make such a big deal about Christmas. Right? Why we as a church, we try to keep, you know, this is just a cliche phrase, trying to keep Christ in Christmas. And why this season doesn't need to be one of dread, right? one of darkness, just exams, family stress, and all the stuff that comes with that, or depression. Uh, nor does it need to be just a time of trying to force yourself to get in some sort of cheerful spirit uh, just to go along uh, with what we see in the media and what we're forced to think. Uh, but the fact that God literally and physically touched this earth when he came down, coming to take our curse away. And maybe as you're um, observing Christians, uh, it's something that's uh, catching your attention. And maybe it's catching you at a time where you're going through maybe a haunting loneliness. And we just ask you to get to know uh, Christ through continuing to come out to church, uh, visit the communities, and get to know him. Uh, this God that we're worshiping uh, is not a made-up God. Uh, he came as a man, and we believe that he's truly real. Uh, for those of you who are Christian, uh, maybe as you look back, maybe this year, uh, maybe it was difficult to walk uh, with Christ closely. Uh, maybe, if you're honest, you haven't faithfully uh, walked uh, in an intimate relationship with God at all. I know sometimes, and uh, you know, we've all been there. Maybe we feel like we've drifted so far from God that it feels sometimes pointless to even try to climb back up. It feels like such a very, very difficult climb. Uh, and we've all perhaps been there, uh, but I think that's precisely where the good news of this idea of Emmanuel is most powerful. Three words, God with us here to stay, to remind us that he'll never leave, that an infinite God who was so holy that before Christ came, no one could even hope to approach him without fear of annihilation, that he's extending an invitation of love. And you don't need to climb or go jump through hoops to get God's attention. You are approaching him in faith and he sees his son Jesus Christ and he draws near to you. He will never stop pursuing us. So that's what the incarnation teaches us. Two simple things. God understands us. Uh, he's made himself understandable to us and having understood that now what difference does that make and how should we respond and uh, a couple of simple things here by way of application and closing. Number one is very simple. This season, and perhaps the way this worship service was set up would uh, really lead us to uh, apply it this way, is to really seek Jesus and behold him every day. Aggressively seek Jesus and behold him every day. In a recent excerpt in the Songs of Jesus, uh, a devotional by Keller through the Psalms, um, I was reading a particular psalm that where 
uh, the phrase, lift up your eyes to God, lift up your eyes to the Lord, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. There was a very, very repetitive phrase throughout that entire psalm. And um, the point uh, that he made uh, in, in his commentary on that was this is important for us to uh, realize that we need to lift up our eyes to God because we all perhaps suffer from what's known as spiritual ADD, right? Attention deficit disorder, which is the uh, difficulty or the inability to stay focused and to pay attention to one thing at a time. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, we know that this is so true of us, right? Because we may uh, receive a teaching, and this has a lot to do with perhaps the condition of our hearts, but we may be convicted by a message of Bible study or something we uh, read or hear about, um, but due to perhaps circumstances in the way we live our lives, our minds immediately go somewhere else. And um, it, it requires a lot of effort to really recapture what uh, was spoken to us and what we were originally uh, received. But the challenge was to look up, look away uh, from what can so easily distract and behold and truly gaze. And this, this Advent season is a great time uh, to spend some uninterrupted quiet time uh, reflecting on uh, the person of Christ and thanking him for what he's done. And we can't forget what a big deal that is. Uh, the scriptures tell us that the prophets of old longed to know God in this way that he has made himself knowable to us today. Think about the prophet uh, Moses who longed to see God. In fact, he's, there's a scene where he's on a cleft of a rock and he prays a prayer, show me your glory. Uh, and God responds by saying to him, if I showed you my glory, you will no longer exist. You can't stand in my presence. So I will pass by and you'll get a glimpse of my backside. Right? And even after that, he came down from the mountain radiating. Uh, that's how powerful it was. But as we read in the New Testament, right, those prophets wonder what they, how they would react if they were able uh, to behold Jesus and read about him in his word the way we can. Do you realize what's going on? To be able to meet God without terror, the truth that he can come into your life, this should be the driving force of your life, to know him in a real and personal way. And this is a very, very big challenge for us, and I realize even for me in ministry, this is one of the biggest challenges, uh, running a college ministry. It's a very, very event-driven. We had a, a lot of events, especially in closing the semester. A lot of food, <laughs> uh, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of food. We have to guard ourselves against gluttony, uh, gluttonous behavior. Um, and I realized, you know, with years of experience um, running a ministry like that, you know, it, it, the challenge isn't um, running a smooth event, just uh, send some emails, put, put the right people in the right place, uh, order food that tastes good, and play the right music, and it's good, all good. And play some fun games. Make sure everyone's having a good time. You know? um, the real challenge is, is uh, beyond those meetings, in between those meetings, right? and realizing what life is like when you're not in a big crowd, uh, and to really, really live your life uh, in a very, very real thriving relationship with God, to teach that, to model that, uh, and to really, really show that that is one of our highest priorities as growing Christians. That's the biggest challenge. That is the biggest challenge, and to, for me to never forget uh, that's the whole purpose of it all. Caused me to examine my life and perhaps where you're at. Maybe we can all just ask ourselves, what are some of the hindrances we need to throw off? Are you distracted? Have you been lazy? Lethargic? Unmotivated? May we bring that to God, who understands all those struggles. Can we spend extended time with people by ourselves, remembering that this is an unimaginable privilege? Second thing, um, courageously give up our rights and surrender. So it's not just worship, but it's also surrender, as we see what happened with particularly Joseph and Mary here. As we mentioned before, Joseph and Mary, by going along with this plan, put themselves in a very, very uh, dangerous, precarious situation. Right? Mary obviously getting pregnant uh, before they even got to the altar, will put them in a spot in as conservative as a society that was where they would be shunned, 
they would be outcasts. That's why perhaps even Joseph in his plan to quietly remove himself from the situation, maybe he was, even he was in disbelief by what was going on. But by surrendering, willing to put up with it, trusting in God's plan, that was all part and parcel of beholding this Jesus, meaning he's going to change your life. He's going to rearrange your life. And it might require inconvenience, but go along with it. Another thing, Joseph, in a patriarchal society as for the first century Jews, where the father had every right to name his child, right? that showed that he had power and authority over his family. That was his lair. That was his domain. It belonged to him. And he was supposed to name the child, but here's this angel showing up. He says, you're going to name him Jesus. You don't get to name him. That's meaning this is not even your family. This child is not yours. This is God's child. Right? For a first century Jew to hear that meant swallowing your pride and giving up that God-given right that was his. It's surrender, which we obviously see uh, in the example of Christ uh, before uh, his final hours on earth that he too had to say, not my will, but yours be done. Meaning, when you adore Christ and come to him, uh, it's not just uh, walking away feeling better about yourself, but giving yourself over to God's plan for you without conditions. Without conditions. Uh, when I was in school, uh, uh, I, the only class I enjoyed, and I didn't really, you know, um, for fear of being made fun of, I really loved mathematics. Right? I just uh, enjoyed, uh, I always looked forward to going to geometry <laughs> uh, and uh, was thrilled when I um, was accepted to the advanced accelerated uh, calculus class, uh, which I didn't tell my um, athlete friends uh, for fear of shunment. But anyway, uh, I remember uh, I was brought back to this one lesson about studying proofs, right? Uh, meaning uh, A is true if B is true. I won't go into this. This isn't a math class, so I'll just, I'll just say that, right? And if you want to get rid of any ambiguity, um, that word if, I remember this. I don't know why I remember this. You add an extra F, so it's, we just said if, if, you know, to say if and only if. So uh, if you want to get, get rid of all uncertainty, A is true if, if, uh, if and only if B is true, uh, which tells us that one statement is both necessary and sufficient for the other. Okay. Um, yeah, for you guys have a exam coming up. You can write that down. Um, but that reminded me that sometimes um, when it comes to uh, trusting in God in our spiritual lives, we need this clarity, right? We need conditions in order to wholeheartedly and with joy in our hearts even surrender to God. So B being, you know, uh, a life of faith walking with Christ that's a condition that I'll only give myself to if and only if I have A. Right? God, you give me what I want. Right? You give me stability, uh, financial security. You give me friends who understand me. You give me deep love and understanding from my family and all these things. Keep everything going smoothly. And if and only if right, uh, A is true, then B is true. But the message of Advent, the message of the gospel is there is no if in the middle. There is no equation it's only the second part, which is trusting in God because he met all those conditions in a way that we can imagine by simply entering into our world and existence and making a way for salvation that we needed most. Forgiveness, mercy, eternal life, which we have yet to even begin to understand what that's going to be like. very well-known verse at the end of John 20, 29, after uh, the Apostle Thomas. We know that he was one of the ones notoriously known for placing a condition on faith, right? I'm not going to believe. Everyone else saw it, but I'm not going to believe unless I see for myself the scars in her hands, in his hands, see the nail marks, and I put my hand in his side, then I'll believe. But um, Jesus responds lovingly. He actually gives in to uh, Thomas's wishes there, his conditions there. But he says this in verse 29 of chapter 20. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's a summary right, of that gospel for all of us who won't necessarily physically behold uh, 
the, the resurrected Jesus. But we'll believe anyway on the merit of his word, on what he's done for us on our behalf. In humility, in surrender, in all these ways. Uh, and every, next time you sit in a math class, you can remember that as well. Right? Uh, he is who, the one who unconditionally loved us, and our call is simply to trust in him with unconditional faith. And finally, and I think uh, in closing here, as uh, God has come into this world as the incarnate Christ, uh, let us truly be the incarnation of Christ as an extension of God to this world, as his body, as his people, as individuals. Uh, this, this semester, even uh, earlier this semester with our college ministry, I really tried to make that a theme for, for our, our young leaders uh, to really learn what incarnational ministry is. And if you've ever trained for missions, short-term missions, or uh, ever done any uh, community service work, we know that that's a very, very uh, important idea to understand, that incarnational ministry means just as God uh, drew near to us, uh, leaving his throne of glory. Uh, we are an extension of that incarnation by leaving our comfort leaving our place of self-serving and drawing near to those uh, that we're trying to love and extend Christ's compassion and grace to. And that's the way uh, we understand that. And as we embody Christ's self, uh, selfless love to this world, uh, in a time where uh, people can be very self-serving, uh, we can really cast a light uh, that perhaps people uh, don't really see. And that's something I've been asking God for more opportunities for because um, even in ministry work, you can get caught up in just the routine of uh, running and doing ministry. Um, this past Thanksgiving morning, I had a few hours to kill before I deep fried that turkey. Um, so it's very, it's a quick job. You're, you're done in about an hour. So I had some time to kill in the morning and I was like, uh, read, read uh, a similar devotional uh, passage uh, to this and I was like, God, I, I, I want to go and I don't know, just make somebody's day better. Uh, so uh, I realized that people were working on a holiday. Uh, so why don't I go and just, uh, I don't know, somehow encourage them. So I went to multiple uh, coffee shops because I know those would be open. And I ended up with a lot of coffee cups in my car. <laughs> uh, a couple of them that didn't, didn't get used. But I uh, went in there, uh, stood in line, and uh, made sure to thank uh, the workers' employees uh, and the baristas. Say, hey, I know it's a holiday. You got stuff to do. We all have stuff to do. Uh, but thank you uh, for working and uh, left the tip where I could until my pockets were empty. Uh, and uh, for me, just a little thing, not, nothing too serious, nothing too dramatic, but to say that today I want to, in some way, whether big or small, uh, extend Christ, uh, his kindness. All right. I went for a workout, and the Planet Fitness was open until noon that day. Uh, made sure to, I see that guy regularly, the guy who wipes my sweat off the bench. <laughs> Thanks for working today. What are your plans today? Uh, hope God blesses you this season, just to engage people, uh, just in little ways. At times I'm making my prayer, God, wherever I walk today, whoever I see, may your light be shining around me uh, so that I can extend the love of Christ. Just this weekend, I tried to make it a priority to encourage my interns. You know, I'm busy bossing them around, uh, telling them to do things. You know, uh, sometimes you got to use intimidation to make them do things. Uh, but I made it a pr uh, priority to say something nice to all of them. Uh, this weekend. Encourage them for some progress I see, some, something good they did, and uh, it made a big difference. You see how kind words, uh, a smile, uh, a pat on the back, uh, something life-giving can really, really go a long way. In little ways like that, uh, to be the extension of Christ. Is there someone in your life that could use an encouraging word? Right? Maybe a roommate, maybe a family member, right? someone you work with, someone you'll see at work tomorrow. So a neighbor of yours that you're constantly passing by uh, who could use uh, a little bit of, of, of a wind in their sails uh, by uh, you extending Christ's love to them. And done in humility, uh, done in uh, the spirit of the, of the truth that Christ drew near to us, because of that, uh, we can truly draw near to others and show them Christ's love as well. So if I were to sum things up, uh, what we can learn in this very, very first message of Advent is this call. Let us adore him. So behold him, be filled with him, and go be like him. Simple summary. Behold him, be filled with him, and go be like him. Incarnation of Christ. We can behold him because he's made himself accessible to us. 
So take advantage of that privilege, draw near in faith, approach the throne of grace, behold him. And as you sing these songs, as you reflect and meditate on Christ and who he is to you, be filled with him. And don't just sit on it, go and be like him. Friends, Advent is a great opportunity for personal spiritual revival to both renew our love and faith in Christ. It's not just uh, passing sentiments uh, where we, that we try to catch, but it's theological convictions. The idea that this is where it all started. God went through with his plan of salvation and redemption by taking that first step of entering our world, entering into real time and space, a God who knew no bounds. And it leads us to understand in our minds right, that this should change everything for us. This should strengthen our faith and even when our feelings are dead, we can stand on a truth that's unshakable. And we can be renewed in that way. We have the greatest hope to live by in the world. And so our prayer is that uh, in this season we can be strengthened and our worship and joy in Christ will not only begin to grow, but it will overflow uh, as we draw near to Christ in humility and faith. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? And uh, we'll respond to... Uh, this word today. Let's pause. Uh, I'll uh, maybe uh, I'll give us two prayer topics. Uh, the first thing is just in response to the idea uh, that God understands us, and God made Himself understandable to us. Think about that. Maybe we've taken that for granted. Uh, maybe it's something that we don't allow uh, to uh, make a difference in our devotional life or uh, our faith even. God understands us. Um, and that's for us to tell ourselves, uh, not when things are going well, but when things are difficult and we feel alone. Uh, when we feel cut off, uh, when we feel isolated uh, in the burdens we need to carry. Maybe you feel like, your best friends don't understand what you're feeling and struggling with. Maybe you feel like your husband or wife doesn't understand. Your kids don't understand. Uh, maybe you feel like your pastor doesn't understand or your, your community group leaders don't understand. Uh, and maybe they don't. But we don't have to remain in a place of feeling uh, completely in despair and hopeless because we have a God who put on skin who allowed himself to feel human emotions, even the worst ones, so that he can be right there with us. And so whatever it is you're uh, going through, whatever it is you're thinking, feeling, or, uh, or causing you pain, turn to the one who relates to you and trust in him. And secondly, the idea that he's made himself understandable. We can know him. Our God in high definition can really, really behold and relate to. You can see him with the eyes of your heart today. Something the prophets are envious of. Worship your God. Look at Jesus Christ in his glory. Come, let us adore him around his throne. Let's pray. Secondly, let's get practical now. Um, maybe we can lift up our devotional life. Um, uh, I know the church here is providing some devotional material. Maybe that's something you can take home, uh, keep open uh, on your desk uh, every day, uh, put it in your mind uh, before you head out for your commute, before you go out to class. Uh, just put uh, just one thought in your mind and, and 
a meaningful prayer. Maybe that's a, a, a discipline or something you can commit to because he's available, because he's accessible to us, because he sympathizes with us. We can respond to Hebrews 4.15. Let us draw near because he is drawn near to us. And then along with that, being the incarnation of Christ around you, think of maybe one person today, throughout this week, in the various places where God sends you, that you can be Christ to through your words, through a simple prayer, a gesture of kindness. Because we live in a world, and you think about it, especially in the holidays, everybody's looking out for themselves. Everybody's fighting for themselves and their own well-being and happiness. But uh, an act of kindness, whether it's random or planned, and really catch people off guard, but in a way uh, where they raise questions and they wonder, they're blessed, and we can, they can see the example of Christ. God, by His Spirit, can be working through you to draw that person to Himself in some divine way. We never know. And even those random people I see in the coffee shops on the street or my neighbors, I'm always asking God, through one word and through one interaction, may it be a step closer to you. Let's pray that. Let's respond practically. Um, live it out as he guides us. Let's pray. God, remember today that you know all things. Uh, you predetermined the plan of this world, saw all that we would do to fall away, yet you, in the sending of your Son and planning out a plan that we couldn't ever understand, Lord, you went through with it, Lord, entering into the muck and mire of a world uh, that you really didn't have to. And a God as holy as you has no business entering, but you did it in humility and love. For God so loved the world, he sent his son, not to judge or condemn it, but to save it, that those who believe will have everlasting life. And God, we cannot think about Christmas. We cannot think about the baby Jesus. We cannot think about the nativity scene without one, responding in wonder and joy about our free salvation in Jesus. A God so humble that we don't have to be scared off and run in the other direction out of fear. We can draw near because you sympathize with us. You are a high priest who loves us. So God, I pray especially for those of us who feel so far from you. Our hearts feel so spiritually dead. Emmanuel, God with us, plant that, those words and that truth into our minds and hearts. By grace, we can come. By grace, we can enter in. And as we read in Hebrews, we can come boldly. So hear our prayers, receive our worship, and in this season, may we behold you, may we be filled with you, and may we go out into this world and be like you. Shine your light through renewal mainline. God, in all that we face and all the places you place us in our communities, help us in your spiritual power to change lives through the kindness of our Savior Jesus for your glory. And it's this Savior we exalt and worship now, coming down from heaven's throne to be with us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Receive our praise now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you rise with me and we'll respond in a song of worship.